You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Che. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. Church, it's good to be with you once again. And uh, this is my last evening with you for some time. And as I leave, I'm sure I'm going to take the weather with me. Uh, at least that's, what's, that's what the forecast seems to look like. But uh, it has been such a, uh, such a joy to be able to be with you. So special to be a part of this winter revival. And the Lord always does a great work, not, not just among you good folks, but he always does something in my heart. Uh, every week, uh, every uh, winter revival that I've been a part of, and such a blessing. It is uh, wonderful to get to spend time with my brother, and we have such good fellowship, and um, we are yin and yang. I don't know which is which. I'll let you decide, Uh, but we just really enjoy each other's company, and uh, you know, I've had a couple of you, I think two, two of you have come up behind me, tap me on the shoulder, hey, pastor, and I just turn around, I just start handling business. I mean, if I can take anything off of his plate, I may as well, right? So anyway, if I've given you any counsel or made any decisions that conflicts with your pastor, go with him, okay? But uh, anyway, it's just uh, wonderful uh, once again to be here. Thank you so much, bro, for inviting me and allowing me to stand in this pulpit. I don't take that lightly. And I want to extend uh, a word of gratitude and thanks as well to everyone that was a part of uh, the preparation and the facilitation of everything that happened this week with the Winter Revival. Um, All the ladies that were a part of serving and preparation, uh, the food and all the ushers and all the sound men and everything else that went on. I'm telling you, as a visitor, it seems like you all have been doing this for decades. And that's just a testament to your heart to serve the Lord. It's a testament to your pastor. Uh, But I know that he greatly appreciates your service, your selflessness, and just representing the Lord in such a great light. So thank you so much, folks, and uh, you are a tremendous blessing, always are, to myself and my family. Uh, As you notice, I am without my better half and without my little rugrats. They had to go back home, and so I'm excited to go see them again tomorrow, catching a plane tomorrow morning to go back home. But it has been wonderful to be with you, and until we meet again, uh, you all just keep serving the Lord, all right? You all just keep doing what you've been doing, and I see God's hand of blessing. My brother texts me with updates almost every Sunday, and my heart rejoices with you all. So just know that you have at least one family up there in Lockport, Illinois, that prays for you constantly. Uh, So thank you so much, and God bless you good folks. Job chapter 23 in your Bibles. Job chapter 23. I endeavor to be short and sweet tonight. Uh, I know that many of you are very tired, and you're carrying some burdens with you tonight. I know that you are church. But I want to encourage you tonight. I I hope to just be a help to you tonight. So if you give me your ear for just a little bit and give the Lord your heart, we'll pray that the Lord will do something in our midst tonight. Job chapter 23. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 3 just to get the message started here. Job 23 verses 1 through 3. Then Job answered and said, Even today is my complaint bitter. 
My stroke is heavier than my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you once again for what you've done in our hearts over the course of this past week. Lord, thank you for meeting with us this morning. Thank you for the precious soul that was saved. Lord, thank you for the one that was baptized as well. Lord, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for the wonderful opportunity that it is to serve you. And Lord, when you bless us by being able to see fruit, it's, it's such an encouragement. Thank you, Lord. And I pray now that you would be with us tonight. Lord, we have uh, no intention other than to glorify you. I pray that you'd use me tonight, Lord, to be a blessing to these good people. Lord, I don't know where everyone's at tonight, but whether they are in the heart of what's going to be preached about tonight or whether they will be, this is something that I know that every Christian will need. So, Lord, I pray that you would still us, quiet us, help us as we open your word, Lord, to help us to, uh, Lord, see wondrous things out of your law. We'll give you the praise and glory for it. In your name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> have you ever lost something important? I know I have. It's one of the worst feelings that you can have when you've lost something that's truly important to you. A rush of thoughts and feelings will inevitably go through your mind. And depending on who you are, the, the order of those thoughts and feelings may differ. You know, you, you may be the kind of person that approaches things purely logically. You may be the kind of person that just goes into a sheer panic. But whoever you are, you're probably going to experience both logic and panic when you lose something. You'll feel surprised when you first realize that you've lost something. You're surprised that that thing that you thought was there is not there. Now, this is not the good kind of surprise. This is not like a surprise birthday party or a surprise by getting a Christmas present that you weren't expecting or a surprise like you find out that the IRS owes you money. No, not that kind of surprise. It's a terrible, terrible surprise because you expected that thing to be there. You knew you left your car keys right there. And you were supposed to be out the door three minutes ago and you can't find your key. You feel surprised. It's not good. You'll begin to think and ask yourself questions. Where else would it be? Where did I leave it? You're going to start looking around in the immediate vicinity because I don't know, maybe Toy Story was onto something. Maybe it sprouted legs and it just started moving around and it's hiding in this cubby or that cubby. You'll look around in the area. Maybe a gust of wind blew it off the counter. Maybe the kids got it. I don't know. You'll eventually experience a gamut of other thoughts and feelings that range from frustration to panic to anger to annoyance to desperation. You may even think, I'm never going to find it. That thought may go through your mind. Some of your frustration and anger is going to be at your own self for being so silly to lose that thing. Why was I not more responsible? Some of your frustration and anger is probably going to be directed at other people around you. Because once they find out that you've lost something, they're going to engage in asking you a series of the most useless questions that have ever existed. Well, where did you see it last? Well, my goodness, I should have thought of that. Should have thought to, thank you. Thank you so, don't you think that if some other place came to my mind, I would be there and not here talking to you? 
You'll be so frustrated, you'll have a short fuse. And whether it's your wallet or your purse or your keys or your phone or maybe one of your own kids in a crowded store, the feeling of losing something is a very familiar, relatable feeling. But folks, what if? What if instead of losing something trivial, like a phone or a wallet, the thing that you feel like you've lost is the Lord? And that's where Job found himself in this chapter. In verse 2, you see Job say, Even today is my complaint bitter. My stroke is heavier than my groaning. Job, we know, was in the midst of suffering unlike anything you and I have ever felt or been through. Maybe you've experienced some small fraction of one of the things that Job went through, but he was experiencing an utter catastrophe unlike anything that we've ever felt. Satan destroyed just about everything in his life in two swift strokes. He destroyed all of his possessions and his family. And then the second time he touched Job's own body. So Job had a heavy heart. And in verse three, we see that Job wanted to tell the Lord, oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. Job so badly wanted to tell the Lord what he was going through, but he felt like he had lost him. And church tonight, maybe, maybe you've at some point in time in your life or maybe even tonight feel the same way that Job felt, like you've lost the Lord. Oh, that I knew where I might find him. If only I knew where God was. If I knew where he was, I would go to him. I want him more than I want anything else, but I just can't find him. Verse 4, Job goes on. He says, I would order my cause before him and fill my mouth with arguments. Job says, once I found him, I would tell him everything that's on my heart. I would pour my heart out to him. I would tell him everything that I'm feeling. Verse 5, I would know the words which he would answer me and understand what he would say unto me. Job continues on here. He says, here's the best thing about the Lord. I know exactly he would answer me. And I know exactly what he would say. He would tell me just what I need to hear. And I would understand it all. And he would make everything crystal clear. It would make all of my problems go away if only I could find him. Verse 6, will he plead against me with his great power? No, but he would put strength in me. Would, would God use his great power against me? No, he would, he would reinvigorate me. He would fill me with power once again that I feel like I'm lacking. I need God, oh, that I knew where I might find him. Verse seven, there the righteous might dispute with him, so should I be delivered forever from my judge. I think Job is referring to his somewhat self-righteous friends here in verse seven. Job had spent the, in the last several chapters defending his cause against his, at one point in time, well-meaning friends. But then his friends decided that they were going to try to diagnose why Job was going through the suffering that he was going through. And Job said, what we know about Job is that he was a righteous man. He was an upright man. God allowed something in his life, not because of direct punishment, but because he thought of Job highly enough to be able to handle the suffering, and that's a powerful thing. 
But he's trying to argue his cause to his friends now. And he says, you know what, guys, if I could just find the Lord, not only would he help me, but then I could just deflect you all to him. You could talk to him and he would deliver me from my judge. Oh, that I knew where I might find him. But look at verse eight. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there and backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand, but I cannot see him. Job says, I can't find him anywhere. Have you ever been there, church? Feeling like you have lost an omnipresent God. As sure as I'm alive, God was here yesterday, but I can't find him today. Job looked ahead. He says in, in verse eight, I go forward. That says, I'm, I'm just gonna try to get up and move on. I'm, I'm gonna move on. But he couldn't find him. I go backward. Maybe I've gone too far and I left the Lord behind. Maybe if I retrace my steps, I'll get back to where I once knew the Lord was, but I cannot perceive him. On the left where he doth work, Job is acknowledging God is still working. And I'm gonna look where he's worked, but I can't find him. On the right where he doth hide himself, I can't find him there either. Job looked everywhere. He looked up and down, left and right. He couldn't find him. And I wanna preach a message to you tonight, church, called When You Lose the Lord. When You Lose the Lord. Now, please understand where I'm coming from. I understand that you cannot actually lose the Lord. I understand that. But please enter into the story here. Do you, can you sympathize with Job there in verse three? Oh, that I knew where I might find him. Maybe you've gone through a period of time in your life where you so badly wanted to hear from the Lord. You so desperately craved his presence and craved his hand and his power. And oh, that I knew where I might find him. I want you to remember these truths when you've lost the Lord. Remember these truths when you've lost the Lord. Number one, when I feel bad, God is still there. Amen. When I feel bad, God is still there. Job says as much in verse three, he says, oh, that I knew where I might find him. You know what that verse doesn't say? That verse doesn't say, alas, God is gone. Nowhere in this chapter does Job say, God has disappeared. God no longer exists. Job says, oh, that I knew where I might find him. When you lose something, have you ever said, I know it's around here somewhere. I know it's gotta be around here somewhere. The fact that you know that that thing that you're looking for hasn't just disappeared into the ether keeps you looking. When you feel bad, God is still there. It goes without saying, folks, that Job was in utter misery at this point in time. Utter misery. His cattle and his herds had been killed. Job could have survived that, I think. But then his property was destroyed. You know what? I can rebuild. I can pick myself back up. I can move on. His servants were killed. 
this is really going to set me back, but as long as I have my family. And then his children were killed. Folks, could you imagine a funeral with 10 caskets? All your children. At that point, Job and his wife were left in grief. And then God allowed Satan to touch Job's body. He didn't even have any physical comfort left anymore. Whatever shred of it he had left, he's now in physical agony on top of the emotional and spiritual agony that he was facing. Utter misery. Yet, folks, even when Job felt bad, he acknowledged, God hasn't disappeared. God isn't gone. I just need to find him. And when we feel bad, friend, God is still there Here's what happens sometimes, folks. We have chosen to only define God's presence by our good feelings. We're only sure that God is around when everything is going well. And folks, we cannot define God's presence by simply the fact that we are feeling good. And I have seen God's people sometimes act like petulant teenagers. When things start not going their way, they say, God must be gone. God abandoned me. If you ever see a mopey teenager, and by the way, if you've ever met a teenager, you've seen a mopey teenager, okay? <laughs> They're gonna mope. And if you ever, if you just don't have anything better to do, ask him, what are you moping about? What's bothering you? Yeah, they might give you the teenage, I don't know what language that is. Those are not, they might do that, but they might also say something like, I'm mad at my parents. Really, what are you mad at your parents about? My friends were having a get together at their house and they were having a party over there and they, my parents wouldn't let me go. Amen. All my friends have a PS5, and my parents wouldn't buy me a PS5. Whatever silly, trivial thing it is, I've seen teenagers just be so mad at... My parents, they just don't love me. Right, and you hear that, and you just think, grow up. Okay, come on. Right, just, just your parents love you. They love you more than you understand. They just told you no. It doesn't mean they don't love you. Folks, it's wrong when teenagers do it. It's wrong when adult Christians do it to God. Is our relationship with God so shallow that we're only confident that he's there when things are good? My parents love me, and they always have, even when they have told me no. And you know what? Here's the truth of it. The older I get and the deeper into this parenting thing I get, the more I realize that the true test of parental love is not how much they tell you yes, it's how much they tell you no. And parents, your kids have a lot of friends, but they only have you as parents. They don't need any more friends, they need parents. And kids are gonna act like kids, and that's fine as long as parents act like parents. 
And that means that sometimes we have to tell them no. And I know, I know that that takes maturity to understand, but it's true. Folks, God is not only there when your refrigerator and bank accounts are full. He's there when they're empty. He's there when you're well. He's there when you're sick. He's there when you're rewarded. He's there when you're punished. We need to remember that God's blessing isn't the only evidence of his presence. God's conviction is evidence of his presence. God's punishment is evidence of his presence. And sometimes when we say, oh, that I might find him, oh, that I knew where I might find him, when we say that, what we really mean is, oh, that he would bless me. What if his presence means punishment? What if it means chastisement? The Bible says, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Who the Lord loveth, he gives them everything that they ever want and ask for. If I wrote the Bible, that's how I would have written it. But no, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son that he receiveth. You know what David said about the Lord? Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. That instrument of guidance and punishment, they comfort me. Folks, if every once in a while you're walking through your Christian life and you get the equivalent of a heavenly, don't you bow up? You know what that means? That means God's there. And that means God's trying to steer you away from something that you are about to walk into. Get back in line. Okay, God, thank you for saving me from whatever it is I was about to walk into. We can't define God's presence just by how good we feel, folks. If Job did, for sure, he would have assumed God was gone. Can you put yourself in Job's shoes for just a moment? Can you imagine one that feareth the Lord and escheweth evil? How many times have we experienced far, far less and we thought, God, you, you must have abandoned me. You must have forgotten about me. No, child of God. He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't abandoned you. If he loves you enough to punish you, that's a wonderful thing. If he loves you enough in a church service to convict you, that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. When I feel bad, God is still there. Number two, when I can't see him, God still sees me. Remember this, when you feel like you've lost the Lord, when I can't see him, God still sees me. Look at verse 8 once again, if you would, with me. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there, and backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand, that I cannot see him. Verse 10, but, 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 he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. When I can't see him, he still sees me. Folks, this Bible is full of verses that tell you, keep your eyes on the Lord. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Do you want to know why the Bible is full of verses telling us to keep our eyes on the Lord? Because we take our eyes off of him a lot. And we need to be reminded, keep your eyes on the Lord. Keep your eyes on the Lord. I've read through that Bible a lot. And you know what I've never seen in there? A verse written to God telling him to keep his eyes on us. You want to know why that verse isn't there? He never takes his eyes off of us. 
He doesn't need a reminder. He doesn't need help. His eyes are always on you. And even when you can't see him, he still sees you. Like Hagar said, thou God seest me. I'm glad that there are times in my life where God's presence is so evident, it's as clear as the fact that we're all in this room together. I would say the Lord is here. And I'm so thankful for those times and those seasons in my life. But there are dark times and there are lonely times and there are heavy times and there are heartbreaking times. And in those times where it seems like I reach out and I just can't get a hold of him, oh, that I knew where I might find him, even though I can't lay my eyes on him, I know that he has not taken his eyes off of me. And that is a blessed assurance, child of God, he can still see you. But here's the thing, the thing that makes losing the Lord seem so scary is not just that you feel like you've lost him, you might feel like he's lost you. And that feels scary. If I was out in the, if I was out in the woods with my dad when I was a young boy, we went out in the woods every once in a while and we stuck together. But if I had ever wandered off and looked around and couldn't find my dad, I would feel scared that I lost my dad. But you know what? I would feel even more scared if I thought he truly lost me. And sometimes we go through those seasons where we feel like we've lost the Lord and then a moment of sheer panic sets in because we think, has God lost me? But let me tell you, child of God, the only time that you've ever been lost is before you were saved. You are not lost. He has not lost track of you. He has not lost sight of you. Every moment since you trusted him as savior, you have been in his hand. You are in the hand of the son of God who is himself in the hand of the father. And the whole thing is wrapped up and sealed tight by the Holy Spirit of God. You are not lost child of God. You might be going through a dark season. You might be going through a night that seems longer than you can last through. But child of God, he can still see you. My mind goes back to that story of the disciples on the boat with Jesus. You remember that story? And Jesus went down into the hinder parts of the ship to catch a nap. And these disciples, these experienced sailors hit a storm that they were too scared to weather. And listen, for it to be that bad of a storm, it must have been serious to scare the disciples. I remember one time, John, I don't know how old you were. And mom and dad, I don't know if you remember this. There was this one time we rented a pontoon boat on Lake Geneva. And, you know, we're all out on the boat. We have our life jackets on and it was beautiful weather. And then I'm telling you on a dime, the weather turned. I don't know what it is about being out on the water, but it catches up on you quick. And the weather turned and these dark, menacing clouds rolled in. And it started raining and the wind started blowing. And you know what? Good sense and prudence told us, take that boat back in. But there's one thing that kept us out on the water. We paid for two hours. <laughs> 
We paid for two hours. Kids, strap in. We are not letting this hard-earned money go to waste. You enjoy it. <laughs> that poor pontoon boat, it's rocking back and forth. And we finally somehow got it to shore and half the staff is standing out there just looking at us with the most, you should have come in sooner. They said, I know we should have, but we paid for two hours. Listen, storms are scary enough on land, but out on the sea, scary. And those disciples went down in the boat and they, I don't know who the unlucky one was that lost the bet that had to go down and wake up Jesus. But one of them went down and woke up Jesus and they said, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Now think about this, folks. Hang on. Think about this. Do you think that Jesus was going to die in a boat wreck on the Sea of Galilee before his time? Absolutely not. That ship, though in a storm, that, that boat was the safest place on this earth because Jesus was in the boat. And if God wasn't going to lose track of his son on the Sea of Galilee, I, I hope you remember what you become when you accept Christ, a child of God. And if God is not going to forget about his son in that boat, he is not going to forget about you, child of God. He has not lost you. He has not forgotten about you. There are plenty of times where we do it to him, but he will never do it to us. When you can't see him, he can still see you. And I don't know how long you've been waiting. I don't know how long the night has been, but hang on just a little bit longer and trust and know that his eyes are on you. His eyes are on you. Last. Point number three, and we'll close with this. When I have no direction, God's way is still right. When I have no direction, God's way is still right. Look at verse 11 in Job 23, if you would. Job 11, I'm sorry, Job 23, verse 11. My foot hath held his steps. His way have I kept and not declined. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Christian, can I challenge you tonight to be more concerned with the revealed will of God than the unrevealed will of God? Be more concerned with the clear command that God has given you today than the uncertain command that you are expecting tomorrow. When I have no direction, God's way is still right. I've counseled a lot of teenagers. I've served as a youth pastor at Grace Baptist Church in Lockport for 10 years now. I can't, I can't believe 10 years. I'm getting so old, John. <clears throat> I've had young people ask me, Brother Abe, how do I know what God's will is for me when I graduate? How do I know? I'm about to turn 18, Brother Abe. How am I going to know what God's will is? And you know what I tell them? You want to find out God's will when you're 18? Do God's will when you're 17. You want to know what God's will is for you tomorrow? Do God's will today. We spend so much time worried about something that's going to come five years, ten years down the road, and we're ignoring the clear command that God has given us today. 
When you have no direction, God's way is still right. I've heard people say, I just wish that God would speak to me. I just wish that God would tell me what I should do. Folks, God will lead you when you need to be led. God will speak to you when you need to be spoken to. God will protect you when you need to be protected. His grace is sufficient. His power is almighty. His timing is perfect. You want to know what you should do when you don't know what to do? Just do right. Just do right. Just do right. And if that means, God, I'm just going to get up in the morning and I'm going to have my devotions. I'm going to open up this precious book and I'm going to read your word. And then I'm going to get on my knees and I'm going to pray. And I don't know where you're going to lead me. I don't know how you're going to help me with my job situation. I don't know how you're going to lead me in this situation that I have with my health or my family's health or raising my kids and this issue and that issue. I don't know what to do tomorrow, but today I'm going to walk with you, Lord. And until you give me more direction, I'm just going to keep plowing away at the last thing that you told me to do. The most damaging and dangerous thing that you can start to do, Christian, when you feel like you can't find the Lord, is to try to come up with your own new way of finding him. And I've seen it happen. I've seen Christians that have been members of good churches like this one. And then they go through a dark period and they decide to abandon the house of God. And they go to some neo-evangelical contemporary, come as you are, leave as you came church. And I've seen people abandon God's word, the King James Bible. And well, if the Lord is not speaking to me through this, because it's hard to understand sometimes, I'm gonna go with some of the other ones. They're a little easier to understand. Maybe God will lead me more clearly with those. And then before you know it, they start to question their standards and their convictions. And where once was modesty, now everything is revealing. Where once was separation, now it's just open arms with everybody. And that person that decided, I'm gonna find my own way to find the Lord. They go from a good church to a poor church to no church. And then they go from the right book to a lesser book to no book. They go from right standards to mediocre standards to no standards. And you've just made a situation go from bad to worse because we couldn't just do the last thing that God told us to do. In these verses, folks, in verse 10, he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. How is that going to happen? Verse 11, my foot hath held whose steps? His steps. Whose way have I kept? His way and not decline. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Folks, Job had it right. I'm just going to keep my eyes on the Lord. He brought me here. He's going to bring me out. Right? is always right, is always right, is always right, folks. Right is always right. Sometimes, though, you get disoriented and you start to doubt whether right is still right. I've heard stories of people that get lost in the wilderness, get lost in the woods or whatever the case may be, and they get so disoriented that they start to doubt their compass. Their compass is telling them this way is north, but they've been going around in circles so much, I don't think this is right. And folks, when you start to doubt your navigational instruments, you're in trouble. 
When you start to doubt your navigational instruments, you're in trouble. And if you're not careful, this world will get you, get you in a tailspin. And you're going to read and you're going to read like Job. I'm going to go where he, I'm going to go forward. I'm going to go backward. I'm going to go left. I'm going to go right anywhere that I can try to find God. And I, I still can't find him. And is this right? Is this still true? Folks, I don't know if you've noticed, but this world is acting in a way that is the opposite of the way that our compass is telling us to live. They are going, in almost every situation, the polar opposite of the way that God has commanded his children to go. It is almost to the point where if you say, but no one else is doing this, good, <laughs> good. It's to the point where if you, are, if you are walking through a stream of ungodly people going the other direction, you can trust you're going the right way. But folks, you get lost, you get lonely, it gets dark, and you start to wonder, is my compass still right? It is. It is. And when you feel like you have no direction, God's way is still right. Young person, young person. I don't know what difficulty has come into your life up until this point. I don't know everyone's story. I'm sure you've gone through some difficulty, but harder days are coming. Hard days are coming when you are not going to be under the direct umbrella of protection of your parents. And at some point in time, you are going to have to learn to use your compass and use your map and trust that even when I feel like I don't have a whole lot of direction, God's way is still right. God's way is still right. You know what you need, to, when, you, when you lose the Lord, you know what you need to do? We could boil this whole message down into just one word. Faith. Faith. The Bible says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Not he is a rewarder of them that conveniently seek him. Not he is a rewarder of them that used to seek him. He is a rewarder of them that diligently Seek him. I have a 10-year-old son. He's a good boy. Sometimes he'll come home with a paper from school. And I look over it, and it's just sloppy. It's just sloppy, and there are things that I know he knew the answer to, and they're just wrong. And I'll ask him, son, were you diligent when you did this work? And I've tried to teach him what it means to be diligent about his schoolwork. You know what diligence means? It means that it matters. It means that it's important. It means that I need to be principled in the pursuit of it. And if we are going to seek God, he wants to be sought diligently, not just when it's easy, but when it's hard, not when it's convenient, when it's inconvenient, not just when everyone else is going my way, but when I'm the only person going that way, 
I need to still diligently seek him. So child of God, I don't know where you're at tonight. Maybe this whole message you've thought, Brother Abe, it's like you've been following me around all week. I feel like I've lost the Lord. I am right there. Maybe, you have, maybe you're not there tonight, but I promise you there's gonna come a season where you will be. And I wanna encourage you, keep seeking him. Keep seeking him diligently, fervently. Keep seeking him. When you feel bad, he's still there. When you can't see him, he still sees you. And when you have no other direction, you can fall back on the direction of his word and realize that God's way is still right. And if I just keep doing his way, sure as rain, I'm gonna find him again. I'm gonna find him again. I'm just gonna keep going his way. Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcctx.org. May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.